Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. Today we're going to go deep into immersive audio where my guest Jeff Komar from Avid is going to answer all of your questions. First of all, this is really a big surprise. For the first time in 17 years, CD sales have increased. They didn't increase much, about 11%, but that being said, they did increase, and previous to this, they've been dropping like a rock. So there were 40.59 million CDs that were sold last year. That's still a lot, but just keep this in mind. Vinyl sales increased about 50%, and they were at 41 million. It was the first time that they outsold CDs in a really long time. Thanks to physical products, album consumption has been up 11% last year, but digital album sales were down about 24%. So basically, if people buy a piece of physical product, they'll listen to it all the way through, but not so on a digital album. So speaking of digital, U.S. streaming, 1.13 trillion streams last year. It's up about 11%. The global total is 2.7 trillion. That's trillion with a T, and that's up by about 26%. Here's another piece of data that really blows my mind. Catalog streams now account for about 75% of all music consumption. And in the last six months, it was even higher. It's 82%. What's catalog? Well, that's any song or any album that's older than 18 months. So what this means is that the top hits are reaching fewer and fewer listeners. We may think it's just the opposite because when you look at some of the huge streaming numbers, you'd think that, wow, all people are listening to are the big hits. Not the case, though. So why is this happening? Well, more older people have adopted streaming, especially during COVID. And now 89% of all listeners in the United States consume their music via streaming. So if anyone doubts that streaming is here to stay, all you have to do is look at those numbers because it tells you exactly what's happening. We're streaming world today. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, AI is such a big thing these days, and we're starting to see it in all different facets of audio. A new one that I thought was interesting is an Israeli startup called DeepDub claims that it can now dub films, television shows, and video games while retaining the same pitch and tone of the original actors. So what this does, it allows them to recreate the voices of famous actors in other languages, but it gives them an efficient alternative to hiring voice actors to do those dubs. There's yet another company, it's called Synthesia, and they've developed an AI-based video editing software that improves the quality of the dubbing by tweaking the actor's mouth movements to fit the local language that they're speaking. There's yet another one. Well Said Labs is a Seattle startup, and they're offering AI voices with different voice personalities. So you can dial in, I want energetic, I want insightful, I want poise, I want expressive. Is this getting scary or what? So what's the tech behind this? 
Once upon a time, what would happen is you'd have everyone in post-production that would be trying to replicate the subtleties of human speech. And it was hard. It would take a long time. But now, voice developers don't need to figure out the exact pacing or pronunciation or intonation of generated speech. Instead, what they do is they just load in hours of audio into an algorithm that really figures out what these patterns are. Then, the voices can change in style and emotion or take pauses and breaths in just the right places. They learn the tone and patterns of the speech of an actor. And there you go another voice actor out of work. Now, of course, the film studios and all production companies and the television networks, they're all into this, and the reason why is it's saving them a bunch of dough. So, for instance, with Deep Dub, an eight-episode television series that would normally take 14 to 16 weeks to dub can now be done in just six weeks. So, as a result, it costs them a lot less money. The other thing is they can deliver this pretty much worldwide all at the same time. So what that will do is that will limit the amount of piracy that's happening. So there's a lot of positives from a corporate side, not so much if you're on the other end of it. My guest this week is Avid Solution Specialist Jeff Komar. Jeff grew up around music and recording, so he naturally gravitated toward the tech world. He joined DigiDesign in 2000 before it was bought by Avid, and he specialized in helping creators solve problems ever since. Since there has been so many questions lately about immersive audio, I thought I'd get the info from someone directly connected to the technology. During an interview, Jeff and I spoke about what's required to get started in immersive audio, where to find sessions to practice with, the difference between bed and object tracks, the different mixing approaches, how immersive audio has affected production, and much more. I spoke with Jeff via Zoom from his home studio. Let's just go back to the beginning. Give me some of your background. Oh, geez. Um, well, for the past uh, 22 years, I've been working for Avid slash DigiDesign. So started pretty early, basically the beginning of 2000. And um, it's been, you know, it's been quite a ride. A major change, obviously, with everything that happened in, in, in the digital recording world. Yeah, I mean, prior to that, um, I've kind of always been a musician. My father was a musician. Um, we had a small studio in my house growing up, actually in, a, in an outbuilding, because um, my, my mom was a flower designer. And so it was all about having space for my mom's flower shop and and the smaller space for my dad's uh, place where he could play his guitars. So I grew up with you know old MIDI stuff and drum machines and and tape machines and and um, and the place to put my drums so that nobody uh, got upset. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and and just really, it was always curious about not only external boxes like you know like classic drum machines, but as we started to get into sequencing and, and MIDI and, and and playing around, you know, kind of before. Um, computer-based recording of audio was really a real thing, doing everything in MIDI in the MIDI world. It was just a really kind of a natural fit for me to kind of gravitate uh, with an opportunity with DigiDesign back in the day. And I've been kind of geeking out ever ever since. And and for me, it's really it's really the, the, the combination of the tech and the creative. Like the tech is cool, but it doesn't really matter if it's just about the tech, right? It, but if it can inspire 
incredible, you know, art and and really inspired emotional response, then it's interesting to me. So I love solving problems and I love helping people understand the tech better to to do whatever they do, whether that's, you know, whether that's an album, whether that's a film, whether that's games, whatever. But that's that's basically my perspective on it. The technology kind of in service of the creative, I would say. Well, immersive has been around for a while and it seems to be further along when it comes to games and, and film than music. But that being said, music seems to be catching up fast, and uh, I see more and more Atmos rooms going in all the time. I don't know if everybody has work for it, but <laughs> they're putting them in. Yeah, certainly everything started with theatrical, right? That's where the format was really proven, and Dolby really kind of courted um, you know, those uh, facilities and those sound designers early on um, to say, hey, here's a, here's, a new, here's a better way to do it versus channel-based 5.1 or 7.1, et cetera. And um, they prove that it's absolutely more compelling for cinema. Um, and so that's absolutely where it started. And, and now it's it, we're in this kind of a little bit of a wild west, but I, I kind of like that. I like the idea of it's not quite all settled and, and it's a new thing and people are trying to solve problems creatively with music. Guys that are just incredible stereo mixers are like, okay, how do we solve these problems now with all these speakers and with new technology? And as you know, just throwing a bunch of stuff around and spinning it around and, and you know, there's a lot of bad ways to do Atmos, but there's some absolutely incredibly compelling Atmos mixes that I've heard that are just amazing. And it takes you further into the music and, it, and again, it can evoke an emotional response. And I think that's what matters. One of the things I've noticed, I was doing 5.1 back when it first started and we had a tough time because the tools weren't available at the time. So we had to kludge all the hardware together. So you're kludging reverbs together, you're kludging monitors, monitor controllers were, were very difficult for a while. But it seems like the technology is further along this time. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about the monitoring chain, you talk about the speakers, the monitor controller, you talk about calibrated environments, um, you talk about the signal processing tools like you're making reference to. Obviously, you can use stereo reverbs in for Atmos, and there's still lots of reasons to do that. But there's some insanely, incredibly compelling tools like from, you know, from exponential audio slash isotope and like liquid sonics that are incredible immersive reverbs that will work, you know, in in elevations and, and you know beyond just the traditional 712 that are incredibly compelling and sound amazing. So yes, the tools, um, again, having a, a, a very well, you know, calibrated multi-channel monitoring environment, whether that's just 714 or it's like up to, you know, big, you know, closer to 916 or beyond for music. Um, and a lot of guys, you know, if you kind of talk to, we'll talk about the wides, right? I know yeah. a lot of guys really like that, that, that other, front wide pair they find that very compelling to bring things into the image in a different way so yeah i think we're way further absolutely than than those days you're describing with with channel based and you know my wife had one of those early acuras that had the um you know the sacd uh not sacd but the dvda player in it and i remember you know geeking out with like the you know the beatles love in that I'm like this is i can see this is really compelling but there's not a lot of people that are going to going to hear this in this way. That, that's not that was the problem. Yeah, one of the problems that we found out was it was a, a consumer problem, the wife problem, where it's like, oh, wh where are these speakers? You know, why, why are they, you know, here? And, you know, what are these wires, extra wires in the floor that weren't there before? And 
things like that. So you had surround speakers that were put in the worst possible positions, and and, and then you lost the feel for what was going on. You lost the experience. Right. So I I think, again, we're a little farther along with that with the newer soundbars that are, are much more creative in how they do things. We are. There's some great sounding soundbars. I mean, look, we, we haven't solved, and anybody you ask about this, we haven't solved all of the this this problem, right? It's not, it's incredibly compelling in a, in a you know, in a well-tuned 714 plus environment. It's, it can be incredibly compelling. You can do great mixes in binaural, but we're not there yet. I think that's going to get a lot better. I really do. It's again, we're in this, um, we're hopefully we're on a path that, you know, that proceeds forward and, and, um, let's talk about some specific questions then. Yeah, sure. The one is, okay, what do I need to get started in this? A couple things. Um, you know, in our world, obviously pro tools is, is the DAW and pro tools ultimate would be essential because it is communicating with the renderer. Again, whether the renderer is on the same, let's just say Mac, running in the background as a, as a software-based renderer, which would be considered Dolby Atmos production suite. Um, or uh, it, when you start getting into larger workflows, a separate rig, a separate dedicated computer, which could be a Mac or a PC. So you need a copy of Pro Tools Ultimate, um, and you need basically at least Dolby Atmos production suite. Um, that flavor of it is Mac only. So if you're you know, obviously a lot of our professional customers are on the Mac, fine, great. But to get started, you can honestly, I encourage people to download a trial version. I think it's 30 days of uh, Dolby Atmos production suite and throw it on their laptop or throw it on their Mac mini or whatever they have and start playing with it. Because you can, if you just have headphones, you can start playing in binaural. You can put it in headphone only mode and just actually start understanding the tools and dealing with objects and beds and things like that. If you've come from 5171, you can start to add some elevation speakers, and hopefully they're you know relatively calibrated in terms of levels and delays and things. Uh, uh, but then you can start to add some Z, right, some ceiling. And I, I think Dolby kind of says you know we want to see four channels in the in the elevation, which is great. But start with what you've got. If you've got a five one, you know go to you know get, go to two and or five one four or whatever you've got. You can start with. Um, so download a copy of Dolby Atmos Production Suite Pro Tools Ultimate. Throw it on your laptop and hook up some speakers and you know headphones and that's that's kind of the toe in the water, right? What is this about? Is this real? And then there's there's plenty of great content that is downloadable. Like I would I would direct you to um well we actually just released some stuff with a with a couple of the webinars that we did uh, for um, a jazz thing, but for posts there's a whole bunch of really cool stuff on Netflix's open source website that you can pull a fully. Uh, freely pull down and explore. And they're very comprehensive sessions. I think Will Files worked on them. And it's a great, like, just open it up and start taking a look at the concept uh, and run that through the through the, um, through the the Dolby renderer. So it, it is intimidating. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of like the, like I said, a couple pieces of software, a laptop, some headphones. That's literally where you can start. Where you could end is, you know, dedicated renderer, full 128 channel count, you know, everything synchronized, everything clocked correctly, you know, 22 loudspeakers all all dialed in, you know, with with, with a tuned environment. So you, you can go really far, but I think you can just start, like I said, with the laptop and Atmos production suite and, and start loading up some sessions. We've got stuff from Matt Lang, music stuff that we did with him that we have, we have access to. And then we also have um, some jazz sessions that we did recently with a webinar that we have access to that we can give people as well. 
I don't think that people understand that they could start with something that simple. Everybody thinks of the expense of, wow, now I have to add all these speakers. And it's gonna, and, and not only that, an external controller, and, and it gets expensive fast. Yeah, no, the neat thing about the renderer, let's just assume you're on a Mac. Let's just assume you've got, you know, you downloaded the Dolby Atmos production suite. It's a piece of software from Dolby. You install, it's on your laptop. You launch it, it's in the background. It'll output out built-in speakers. You know, you don't really want to do that, but it'll output out, you know, to your headphones. It'll output out, you know, if you've got some whatever, whether it's an Avid box or RME box or, or Dante Virtual Sound Card or whatever core audio thing you have, it'll output out to that. And so the idea is you can just start playing with it and see, you know, you don't have to invest in a tremendous amount of expensive equipment just to start playing with this. So I would encourage people to start looking at, you know, like headphone only mode and some headphones that they trust and just start playing with things binaurally. That's where I would start. One of the things that you've mentioned a few times and, and something that I've wondered about is speaker calibration. I used to calibrate rooms for five one rooms for people. So I would know what we went through to do that. And then it got easy because if you got something like a JBL system, you'd hit, hit the button and pretty much do it for you. Uh, what's it like today for speaker calibration? There's a lot of great stuff. I mean, like you said, the JBL uh, has some great offerings. Obviously, Genelec has some really great offerings with their whole um, calibration system. Our kind of our family of products is incredibly powerful, but it does require some more expertise because it doesn't really just have the push push the button and it magically does everything for you. So our products, like uh, for example, Matrix with the SPQ card and then Matrix Studio, which is built in. It's got the ability to do tremendous space management and delays and trims and and filters and all kinds of powerful stuff. However, you have to have some knowledge of the tool in order to understand what you're doing. Meaning, you have to have you know um, a copy of of Smart Live or Fuzz Measure or uh, you know one of those acoustic tools to be able to figure out what are you what are you doing with your filtering and a way to measure delays and, and things like that. So, so we don't currently have an offering that has like Genelec or JBL, the kind of the push button, you know, uh, do, a, do a sweep, send out some tones or pinks or whatever. You actually have to have a little bit more knowledge to do it, but the DSP is there to, like I said, to do very fine trims and delays and crossovers and filters and everything. It's all there. You just have to know how to, what values to put in for that. Getting into production, so one of the things for most mixers that are new to this is the approach is different because you're talking bed tracks and you're talking objects. Mm -hmm. And to get your arms around the difference, I think, is, you know, is something that it takes people time. How would you describe that then, the difference between them? So the bed is just, uh, you know, kind of the traditional sound elements. They're really channel-based and they grow. So if a traditional... You're familiar with a 5.1, and obviously then you grow to a 7.1. Um, the maximum bed width is basically 7.1.2. And you can have a bunch of those. And, um, you know, whether you're doing music, it could be, you know, drums, uh, vocals, keys, for example, effects. Some people use an, actually do an effects bed. Or for post, it could be, you know, dialogue music effects. And those are kind of the traditional groups of, of elements of the soundtrack, if you will. So those get passed to the renderer. And then the the object is really the the magic of Atmos, right? That is really the the compelling. I mean, you know, that's really the compelling part about the environment. The idea of taking a sound source and moving it around and placing it specifically in in the space and scaling it, 
Um, and this, the size parameter is kind of like divergence, so it can it can bleed into a bunch of speakers. Um, but you have incredible precision about how you place that one or multiple elements in an, in an environment, and how you move them through the space too. Um, so they're incredibly predictable. And the, really the magic part of that is the scalability. The idea that in my relatively small studio space, which is 712, I can play something back in my home theater, or I can hopefully listen to it in a, in a larger studio or a, or a stage. And the everything is proportional, right? Which is amazing. The translation's incredible. Or if I go to another even smaller room with a sound bar, uh, Adobe Atmos sound bar uh, on a home theater, it still sounds very close to what I experienced when I was creating and designing. And that you just that was not the case with channel-based audio. Uh, because of the, the the location of the speakers and how well the sound uh, works, so objects are very compelling. But um, it's really there has to be some understanding in how you use all of those pieces, right? How you use the objects, how you use the the um, the beds, um, and what your strategies are for for low frequency and for you know placement of, of sound elements. And if certain things are never going to move, or if they're static, they could be they could absolutely live in a bed. Uh, if something's going to be more complex or dynamic, maybe it's an object and maybe it's moving through space. But there's certainly a lot of strategies um, to uh, there, there's some great there's some great, you know, other um, discussions on YouTube, you know, guys like Andrew Sheps and that are that get into the weeds on how they approach Atmos. And um, I would have people to take a look at some of that. So typically for music, then um, bed would get the rhythm section. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so. Uh, here's the thing. There's different approaches to how people do this. And there are some schools of thought that, and I know there's some engineers like at Capital that are like, you know what? The, the object is the secret sauce of Atmos. We're going to do like almost 99% objects. <laughs> and so they've actually kind of created a, arrays of objects, kind of like object beds for everything. And honestly, the only thing I believe that they're sending through the beds is LFE because the LFE is really can only be sent through um, through the beds. So that's an extreme example of unconventional, right? I guess I guess unconventional in the way maybe Dolby intended it, but effective. But absolutely, you can you can use beds um, and they don't have to be 712. They could be narrower. They could be 71. They could be 51. Uh, it depends on what you need. Use what you need. So absolutely, you could send a rhythm section through there. But there might be certain things that you want to, maybe you want to move something just in the Z space. So you create a, a four channel or a six channel quote object bed that you're moving an element in just the Z space, right? Up up near the ceiling type of thing. So there's a lot of different ways to approach it. Okay. So you mentioned the LFE. I remember again, mixing 5.1 where everybody was crazy on what they're going to put in the LFE in the beginning and then went kind of over the top on and and then we went the other way where it's like well you know it doesn't really need that much down there because you know we're getting what we need just with the base redirection and and everything so you know we're good is is that kind of the way it works now in atmos too i mean so one of the things about atmos that's compelling is that you can have well for home theater it's 22 you can have 22 full range speakers Right, so this is not like old cinema where you've got satellites and your everything's being base managed, and you know maybe your LCR is 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 full range, but your back stuff is not. You can have you know in a theatrical space sixty four full range speakers plus lots of subwoofers. Um, so, geez, I think it depends on the genre. 
You know, I see different, widely different usage based on uh, if you're doing more electronic or dance stuff like that in line with what we're talking about, like Matt Lang. Uh, but then conversely, when you're look, looking at people, how will people approach, you know, jazz? They're really trying to 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 shore up and to emulate the feel of being in a club listening to a live jazz band. Um, and so I just think it, it it's 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 using the tools appropriately to taste based on genre. And it varies widely, at least the sessions that I've seen. And um, if it's impactful, if it's done appropriately, uh, then it works, you know, so. I think it's it's the same conversation about the C, right? The is the lead vocal just in the center channel, or is it kind of diverged, or is it in a phantom center? And then there's sort of like a bloom of of you know space or reverb or whatever, kind of around the LCR and Z of that. That's kind of cool too. So there's a lot of different approaches, but yeah, the LFE that that people start to learn or understand that when you do place a, an element into an object mode as an object you do not then have a dedicated LFE send off of that track. Uh, so you do need to leverage the uh, the bed. And and certainly you could just take a send off of, you know, to that, that LFE part of the bed, one of the beds, and that'll get there. Do you find that now that there's some experience mixing in Atmos, that people are recording differently or producing differently because now they have a feel for what the final product might be? I think people, yeah, I do think people that have done it uh, for a while. I mean, it, there's a lot of people that in the past year or so, it's it's relatively new and it's it's just like, okay, we'll take existing sessions, we'll remix them in Atmos. And that's fine. But I think the people, at least more of the people that I know that have uh, from post that have been doing it for quite a while, I think they perceive it in a different way. Meaning, for example, um, some of those sound designers um, and mixers and editors um, for post are thinking about you know capturing multi-channel ambiences, you know thinking about how they're going to leverage mid-side ambiences and mono ambiences and ambisonic ambiences and you know all these different possible things that they could use tools and then put that into Atmos space. So maybe everything is not a a, 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 a you know a four-channel like ambisonic that they're going to unwrap into a whatever a seven-one or seven-one-two. But it's a combination of things. But yeah, they're, I do think that they're thinking about the space more as they're designing, as they're building, as opposed to just business as usual, mono or stereo effects, and we got you know stereo BGs, and and now let's just let's let's mix it. Oh, there's some stuff in the ceiling, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I do think that once people have more experience with the format, they under they understand not only the tools, but how to prepare assets to be able to make the experience more immersive. I think that absolutely is is important. Now, one of the things I've heard is, so you're mixing something and you find that, wow, there's all this space and let me spread it out. And, oh, as a result, I don't have to use the traditional tools that I once had to. I don't have to EQ as much. I don't have to compress as much. And and then it's still, it, it all works. But then when it gets rendered down to another format, even stereo, for instance, then it doesn't have the impact that it might have had before. Yeah, um, I, I think it's, I think one of the other compelling things about the format is the concept of the re-renders. And so you talked about monitoring and having a calibrated environment and all of that, and that's great. One of the neat things that you can do is you can set up, how is this going to sound binaurally? How is this going to sound in 5.1? How is this going to sound in 7.1? And then the, the kind of the grandmaster is Atmos, right? And so you can actually, in real time, switch between all of these things 
and just listen to how that's going to translate um, and make adjustments. And I know a lot of guys, especially for the binaural, will make, you know, they will do all of the heavy lifting in their calibrated multi-channel, whatever, 714, let's just say, environment. And then they'll tweak and then they'll tweak, you know, on, on headphones a bit and they'll go back and forth and bring up the soundbar and, you know, move it around. Like I said, the concept of moving around and having translation between different Atmos environments. And they'll make small changes based on listening to their AirPods Pro or listening to the soundbar, come back into the, the master environment, the 714 studio and make changes and make, make sure it translates. But the re-renders allow you to actually listen to lots of different formats in real time, right? It's a recomputation is really what it is. It's not a, it's not a down mix. I think that's a useful tool. Well, that sounds like why you need a separate computer for the renderer. I, I think as your projects start to get more complex, again, as people have been doing Atmos for several years, they and their deliverables are larger and they're and they're complex and they're and their, the sessions are larger and there's more automation, there's more going on. I mean, you think about it, you, you start to think, okay, I should probably dedicate a computer for this as this renderer because it requires more horsepower. So there's a lot you can do again with Dolby uh, with uh, the Atmos production suite on the same rig and start there. But as you get into it, yeah, you might end up with a dedicated machine. And um, there's a reason for that, absolutely, from a power and workflow perspective and deliverables and all of that. One of the biggest controversies right now is the difference in the codecs between Apple Music and, let's say, Tidal or Amazon Music, where you're hearing something different coming from Apple Music because they're using their own codec. So how is that being resolved? I don't know. I mean, so that's the, that is a, that is this kind of the wild west that we're kind of in right now is, and you're talking really mostly talking about, again, how people ingest and, and experience a lot of this is with their AirPod, AirPod Pro. And Apple does not use all of that binaural encoding that Dolby does. They have their own. And so that's where it diverges. And that's kind of this conversation about, well, this is going to change, right? This is going to, we're still evolving and adapting. And where does it end up? I don't know. There's Dolby, there's Apple, and there's other factors. But um, um, again, that's the conversation about being here in the studio, making creative choices in your tuned environment, and then listening on your AirPods Pro to how is you know to the Apple and, and listening on the on, on the on the soundbar and listening in multiple formats. But yeah, they are different. You're absolutely right. What you hear in the binaural render coming out of the Dolby render is not going to be uh, necessarily the same as what what Apple's doing. So I don't know how that resolves. That's a great question. Obviously, people in, ingest music a lot on headphones. Yeah, yeah. So, Okay, something then connected to that. You're obviously on the cutting edge of all this. What are the trends that you see gear-wise, production-wise, delivery-wise, when it comes to Atmos and immersive? Oh, geez. I mean... I would say, you know, I mean, the gear is important in order to facilitate being able to work more efficiently in the format. And again, that's not to say you need to go out and invest in a tremendous amount of gear before you do anything. You don't. You really don't. But I think you could be smart and you can leverage some compelling tools. Like, for example, there's there's a, there's a pretty large list now of, of really interesting and compelling plugin AAX plugins that work in Pro Tools that, that will work either up to 712 or actually beyond 712. So there's some great smart stuff, just including just off the top of my head, you know, things from FabFilter and things from Liquid Sonics. So you don't have to spend a tremendous amount of money. 
but it can help to have even something like Avid Control, which is a free app, which runs on your iPad, just to give you some more control over, you know, you don't have a 3D view, but you do have a top level view of your space um, and to move things around and to do automation and, you know, um, um, things like that. So again, I think the guys that get it, that have been doing it for a while, have figured out the, the pieces to, to kind of make everything work. And that's a combination of some tech, some kind of a control surface I think is useful. It doesn't have to be, you know, a giant S6. It could be something small like an S1 or an Avid Control. You do have to have a way to monitor and to listen and hopefully to trim and calibrate your environment. And again, that's important. And then, uh, and then a way to listen to high quality headphones that you trust. And then I think it's imperative to be able to listen in multiple spaces. Again, this concept of home theater, studio, soundbar, iPods Pro, Listen as many places as you can. It's it's you know it's like oratones and it's it's on steroids really. I guess I don't know. I mean the cutting edge. What is that? I mean that's there's probably some signal processing tools and there are um, certainly there's tons of delivery specs about what is expected for you to deliver. Again, leveraging the re-renders I think is huge. Right, listening uh, um, on as many systems as you can, listening in as many formats as you can. I think that's all really important and just just taking in as much information and recommendations from other people that have been mixing for many, many years in this format. That's really what you can do. So we're still on a path. We're on a journey, right? This is, it's getting, when we start, when Avid started with Dolby, it was really, it wasn't that you couldn't do Atmos in Pro Tools. You could, it just was harder, right? That's where we started. We started where guys were doing films in Atmos. It was happening. However, you had to manage hundreds and hundreds of, of plugin windows just to talk to the renderer, which was a very monolithic giant PC. And so uh, you could do Atmos in Pro Tools back then. It just was a lot harder. So every time we kind of add stuff, we're trying to make it, uh, we're trying to remove all the pain, remove some more of the pain points and make it more fun, really, to, to break down all of the, I got to do A, B, and C, and D before I just kind of think about this creatively. So we're trying to solve some of that. And those are things like, you know, adding, you know, ADM export to Pro Tools and, and better communication between the renderer and, and more, you know, being able to manage things from the binaural plugin setting directly in Pro Tools and, and all of that. Okay. So last question then, Jeff. In your opinion, and I know this is very subjective, but in your opinion, what makes a great immersive mix? Oh, geez. My opinion personally uh, would be, and it's, it's not the more complex. So, you know, if I think about, you know, a, a film, a theatrical thing in Atmos and some of the great movies that I've heard in that format, there might be just an incredible amount of complexity, uh, you know, things going on. But I guess for me, let's just talk about music. I think it's really, it brings you closer to the music, right? If it's done correctly, it's not distracting it's not bringing your attention to that there's maybe a Z or that there's, you know, it's, it's you know, in, in, uh, in, in theatrical, you know, they can take some of the score elements, you know, the, the, and, and actually bring, you know, the strings kind of out and like, it feels like you can kind of sense the orchestra. Again, that concept of the vocal with, with music is this creative use of the vocals, not just in the C, it's not just this bare naked thing in the center channel. But wow, there's like this sphere of like bloom of beautiful layers that are kind of wrapped around the LCR and kind of like has this actual shape. And 
it's not like a gimmick. It's not like, I, I think if it brings you closer to the music and kind of wraps around you and, and it's, it, 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 again, it's back to the, either it gets you emotionally or it doesn't. And if it's just a gimmick and there's just things moving around and distraction, then it doesn't work. It fails. Um, but I believe that it, um, it has the ability to, um, to really, um, to be really compelling and, and, and to, and to, you know, get to you better. Um, so if it's done right. And, and that, again, that depends, that's different based on the genre, right? If you're sitting, if you're listening to a jazz track, you kind of want to feel like you're just sitting there and you're listening, you're listening to the best, you know, um, in a jazz club and just really just feeling the space, right? And you're really enjoying the, the musicianship and you're just sitting there and you're like, this is amazing. Maybe nothing is moving, right? Dynamically, it doesn't matter. You're, you're, you love this being in that space. Conversely, there's some insane but compelling music uh, um, mixes in that are electronic in nature. I, and I love electronic music that are just like so creative, but not distracting. They might be, you know, modulating and arpeggiating and taking advantage of Z and all, you know, the height and all this, but it, it, it's not, it's not distracting. It's just, it's intriguing. So I would say aesthetically, it, it really depends on the genre. Um, but it's, it's a new, it's a new horizon. It's a creative tool. And again, it's just engaging you, connecting with you deeper and, and, and is it, do you have an emotional response to the art? I think that's what's important. You can get a lot more information about Atmos and you can download the Dolby Atmos Music Panner and Atmos Production Suite at dolby.com forward slash music forward slash create. That's dolby.com forward slash music forward slash create. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find an Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. <laughs>